Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Blair. Uh, I've played in uh, Knapsack, The Jealous Sound, and Racket Club. And you are now listening to Two Beats Off Podcast. number 17 of two beats off podcast my name is steven and i'm here with a couple of my best friends one of them's name is mc heiser mc how are you doing today i'm pretty good today actually good good to hear and uh the other one is one of my also best friends also known as best friend number four justin lutz how are you doing today i'm excellent and i'm just gonna point (laughs) out (laughs) i can't believe i'm best friend number four but was your best man regrettable decision what does that say about what does that say about best friend one through three they've moved up the ranks son of a bitch (laughs) (laughs) well it's a beautiful saturday afternoon here in hanover (laughs) the skyline in hanover looks a lot better than i remember wonderful for a uh audio medium yeah, we yeah. we keep forgetting that the corn has been trimmed, and I can see one mile farther. <laughs> there it is. Mm-hmm. That's how you make Hanover better. <laughs> Crack open an ice cold hams. I bought I bought I bought Husky today. Nice. What kind? Oh, bullet. what now? Bullet Husky. I uh, whiskey. I almost bought um. So Pabst makes a whiskey. Did you guys oh, know this? Damn it! No, they should not. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. Which is why I didn't buy it. It's twenty. It's twenty-two dollars. Well, mostly I didn't buy it because it is clear rather than a dull brown aged color. I'm not like a whiskey snob. I'm not weird about it, but it set me off a little bit. Where it's like Pabst whiskey, and it was totally see through. Well, that just means it's not aged in an oak barrel. Yeah, it's Pabst moonshine barrel. Yeah, it's Pabst moonshine. Yeah. So what's it aged in? Just like a glass bottle. It's probably, probably not even aged. It's probably straight out of the still, right into the bottle. And if anything, it's in like a, uh, a like keg or something, like an aluminum keg. I think it's probably into uh, an aluminum Pabst can and then left open around a dusky warehouse while a Fest-style punk band plays. And then they just dump it into a bottle and sell it. I feel like if a Fest-style punk band was playing, it would have some color to it because those guys are gross. That's true. Hey, can I make a before we jump into uh, end of year festivities? Can I make a recommendation before we speaking of punk bands? Lois and I watched a movie that is streaming free on Amazon Prime called Uncle Peckerhead today. Don't let that title throw you off. Um, it is about a punk band that goes on tour and their van gets repoed right the night before, and. They go around putting flyers out to borrow a van, and this musty old redneck guy is sleeping in a van and offers to drive him around. But at midnight, he turns into a cannibalistic zombie and kills everyone around him every single night. And it's pretty fun. (sighs) And Jeff Riddle from The Holy Mess is one of the stars of it. Are you turned off by the, the title Uncle Peckerhead? Actually, if I saw the title <laughs> Uncle Peckerhead, 
I, I would be intrigued and I would probably be more likely to watch it than if it was just titled like Uncle, Uncle Peter. Well, so it's really good. And there were a lot of moments where Lois turned to me and was like, how badly do you feel seen right now? Because the band would be like trying to uh, rustle money out of a promoter. And he's like, here's your cut. And she's like, that's $3. He's like, yep, $1 per head. That's okay, I guess. I recently watched a movie called FDR American Badass. And if you haven't seen it, it is terrible, but amazing. Is it an action movie about Franklin Delano Roosevelt? Um, kind of. And like, there's Nazi werewolves and like a lot of jokes about his like handicapped little legs and Jesus. big dicks and kind of stuff. And it's you hilarious. Can't, you can't. <laughs> Don't <laughs> don't refer to the president's polio as his. God damn it! I'm not referring to it as that. That's how they refer to it in the movie. So I just was telling you. I'm what just to saying. Expect. So you know how, like, if you're a part of a subculture, you can say certain things. I actually am handicapped at the moment, so I give MC permission to say that. Okay, fair enough. Um. How was your Thanksgiving? So, Steven, your dick still doesn't work? Oh. I'm not fixing that, man. I'm done. He he has two. two. He has two kids. Yeah. I'm trying to like get the old snip snip. That's but no, now, you know, because, I want to do it together. Yeah, but now because of COVID, they're eliminating elective surgeries. Fucking assholes can't wear a mask. Okay, let's make it life threatening. <laughs> How? All right, hold on, hold on. Let's let's explore the space a little bit. What do you need to do to yourself to make a vasectomy a life-saving surgery? Birth a serial killer. I don't think that that's immediate. Like they wouldn't know, right? That's a pre-existing condition. Okay, but I have a four-year-old. I feel like at this point he could murder someone. He absolutely could. Little kids have way more strength than you ever would imagine. Because they don't know how to, like, tone it down. They are always at 100%. But they have the energy and that. You can kill someone with not much strength if you have the energy to make up for it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, most serial killers are kind of like scrawny little fucks. They're just wiry. It's kind of like the Sean Avery effect. He wasn't that strong, but he was. he had the fucking determination and the grit to be a fucking pest. Yeah, he's he a dickhead. Is that a hockey thing? Is that a hockey thing? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was a piece of shit, but like he wasn't the strongest, biggest guy, but he had the energy and the determination to literally make the NHL make up a rule because he would hold his stick in front of the goaltender's face and dance around and block them so they couldn't see. Like he wouldn't he put his hands up in front of their face too? Yeah, he would like wave his arms in front of the goaltender so they couldn't see what was happening during the play. And they had to make a rule because of him. And his determination. So Steven. basically, Sean Avery is a child, but God damn it. continuing on this hockey tangent. Yeah, no. Sean Sean Avery, the third or fourth most metrosexual hockey player in the league at the time the that he retired. Because oh. Hendrick Lundqvist is definitely number one. He is the prettiest man I have oh, seen boy. in all of yeah. sports. But who would be next? I don't know. 
I can't put Sean Avery as number two because I guarantee you there's somebody better. Adam Henrique was very, very suave. That's why they called him Rico Suave. I'll drink to that. Me too. Hop in here, Lutz. How was your Thanksgiving, fellas? Did you? Okay. Thanksgiving, we discussed, you and I, maybe the day before or so, watching Thanksgiving, and then I saw someone posted that it was free on Amazon Prime. Did you watch it, Justin? Yeah. So we... I did. MC yeah. did. <laughs> so so we uh, we did watch it. We watched it on um, – so Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy the Mail Girl did a live watch-along deal with, on, with Thanks Killing on YouTube. And you it, was, it was fun, but those aren't – I would have – I don't want that to be your first introduction since you're not watching Joe Bob yet because well, – What's because Joe Bob? Hold on. All right. Hold on. Back up. So Joe Bob Briggs – is a drive-in movie critic from the 70s and 80s. He used to live in Texas, and he was the only newspaper critic who would uh, cover the movies, that, like exploitation movies that would come to the drive-in. So can I assume he covers a lot of the B-horror movie-type movies? Yeah, he had a show for, for years on TNT, or TNN, one of those, called Monster Vision. It was kind of like dinner in a movie, but he pops in and gives facts or whatever. And now that he man had, Round Eye uses a lot of Joe Bob Briggs quotes. Yes, I do. If you've noticed, I did when you sent it to me. Yeah. But um, his new show, which he's admitted is basically just Monster Vision, is on Shutter and it's called The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. And there's two seasons, two Christmas specials, um, a Thanksgiving special from last year, and a summer sleepover from this year. And they'll occasionally do. Um, like YouTube watch alongs, but the quality on that isn't quite as good because it's like a computer camera and they put it on a projector behind them. So like you can kind of see and hear the movie, but you hear them more so. So but he does like they're, a, they're fun. a B-rate Mystery Science Theater 3000. Kind of. He'll break in for commercial breaks rather than talk over the action. But I have a crazy. question. Hit which me. I appreciate. I do like that. Yeah. What? Which? So which one was the last drive-in? I don't know. It's just what his show is called, The Last Drive-In. So there's there's still quite a few. Yeah, there's still quite a few of them. I feel like COVID resuscitated kind of, a couple. We, we talked about that. Yeah. COVID yeah. was a good thing for drive-in movies. And that's All about right. it. Let's th- Yeah, let's <laughs> stick on this topic for a second. I know that we're a music podcast, but... Well, don't get too distracted because you were still talking about something else. I am. Thanksgiving did, and Thanksgiving. Yes, but did you all see... I'll circle back. Did you all see that... Um, Warner Brothers for 2021 on the yeah. date that movie hits the theater, it also hits HBO. Yep. What movie? No, Any movie. Uh, Any movie whole, they're releasing. Yeah, their whole slate oh, okay. of movies. It's a pretty wild. Uh, I mean, I know that movies aren't quite an analog for the music industry, but it's a it's a wild model, and could spell. Warner do, Brothers do has signed on. Warner Brothers has signed on. To the execution of movie theaters and many, 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 many local small businesses will be devastated by that. However, like Warner to... Brothers hasn't put out a really great movie in a long time. So when Disney signs on to do that kind of shit, maybe we should be worried. Because Disney is the entertainment industry at this point. Yeah, the last good um, thing Warner Brothers did with Scooby-Doo is Ghost of Zombie Island. 
what uh, what I'd like to see is theaters adapt to smaller movies when they can't get the big ones. I would but, agree with that. I feel but like I don't the, know that that's going to happen. I think the movie theaters is going to do the exact opposite, though. They're going to adapt to only doing the big blockbuster movies. Like you're only going to see Marvel and Star Wars and DC Comics and all the big action movies in the theater, and you won't see. You'll get the but, the smaller like the indie movies go direct to HBO Max or streaming services. Like but Uncle Pecker because had. of that, I think that small independent movie theaters will thrive more than they have in the past because I, 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 I like I drove to fucking Harrisburg to meet Josh to see the lighthouse because I didn't think it would be in. And it ended up being at like RC theaters in Hanover or whatever. But initially, it was only slated for release in small movie right. theaters. Anyway, this experience I had at a small movie theater seeing that was 10 times better than any experience I've had in the past 20 years, other than MC getting drunk and seeing Jurassic World with me while we snuck rum into our Coca Cola cups at the uh, Frank Theaters. That was the best movie theater experience I've had in a while. Go on, MC. So, one, that was the first of, like, five times I saw Jurassic World in theaters, and I was excited every time. Hell Two, yeah. Yeah. Wh- the, the real you question is, which, which theater did you see a movie in in Harrisburg? Which small theater? Midtown Cinemas. Okay, that's a good one. The, yeah. uh, the, the theater there in New Cumberland was always really cool to see movies in, too, because it was one of those old school theaters where you walk in and the snack bar is there and you literally mm-hmm. go to the sides of the snack bar. And on the other side of the wall behind the snack bar is the movie theater. It wasn't like a different room. Ooh. It was just like That's like cool. right yeah. there. And the projector actually projected over the snack bar. Yeah. Midtown okay. had a couple rooms, I think, for the movies. What's so. in- at, when I went to LVC, Anvil had um, the Allen Theater attached to MJ's Coffee House, and you could take coffee and snacks into whatever they were showing. And it, I mean, they'd have w- one movie at a time. But and uh, in Phoenixville, we have the Colonial, which shows new movies, but then also does like last year I went and um, on Super Bowl Sunday saw Carpenter Bowl instead, and saw like three Carpenter movies. So Carpenter. here's a pro tip. John Carpenter even mentioned it. When you go to a movie theater, because in Pennsylvania, movie theaters basically can't sell alcohol, which is completely fucking bullshit. Not, I thought this was America. Not entirely true anymore. It the, is, because most of them can't fucking do it without having a 21-plus theater. No. It, uh, the, have you been to a movie tavern? Uh, you, you drink like a fish at a movie tavern. Yes, but the theater has to have all kinds of like rules and regulations in place to allow that one theater to have it. Okay. It's not like you can take your kids to the movie and drink a beer sitting next to them. Right. So and that's what I want to do. But like in most other states, that's <laughs> like, what happens. Like, like in Florida, you can go to a movie, you can get a beer, you can get a like a, a nachos and cheese and some pretzel sticks or whatever. And you can um, get a bump. You can sit there. You know, mm. that's still illegal. <laughs> Only in Oregon. In Oregon, you can do cocaine freely at the movie theaters. You can pop but, a couple shrooms. But the, the power move it, when you go to a movie theater is you take a flask of whatever your favorite liquor is, you buy your favorite soda that would be a good mixer, you go to the bathroom, you dump some of the soda out, you dump your liquor in, and then you sit there and you watch your movie, and you drink your mixed drink like a fucking champion. 
Cocktail Hour okay. with Matt Heiser. Wait, that's right. Let me chime in here because I specifically remember not going to the bathroom to put the flask in the drink in a very silent movie theater hearing the crinkle of the plastic lid of the cup and then swivel, swivel, swivel of the flask and then look, 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 look of the rum going into the Coca-Cola in the wow. giant big bulb, which probably, honestly, we should have gotten a medium because – to put a whole flask of rum in a big gulp, those are fucking big things. You barely get any rum. So next time I would suggest not to get the biggest cup and maybe to not crinkle the big plastic lid. <laughs> well, so you got to be – hey, you got to be bold. That night I was much more bold because we walked into that movie theater like 15 people deep. Yeah, we, we were did. excited about those fucking dinosaurs, and oh, they did not no one, no one was stopping anything we were about to do. You're right. What, I will give when, you that. When Lois and I saw um, the Hateful Eight, we took pounders in, and right as soon as the first credits opened, it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, COVID sucks. I want to do that again. All right, so Thanks Killing on Thanksgiving. Um, yes. Yeah, so I watched it with commentary, but I had seen it before, but it does hold up, in my opinion. Gobble, gobble, motherfucker. <laughs> that case yeah. is harder to close. <laughs> Wait, her legs are harder to close than the John Bonet Ramsey case. Yeah. <laughs> That 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 being a running joke in the movie is terrible and hilarious. But I mean, the movie is in no way great, but it is awesome at the same time. Oh, the puppet yeah. is amazing. The puppet's great. The puppet's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I I loved it, but it's not a great movie. And that's why it's so great. Kind of exactly. like every band we listen to. Oh, but Stephen, hold <laughs> on. Can I pause for a second, Stephen? You love Thanks Killing, but you weren't in the Chud. You weren't into. What else did I have you watch and you weren't into it? I think Chubb was the one. <laughs> no, so how was your Thanksgiving, guys? Did you do oh, yeah, anything? Did you stay in your house? Did you? No, wait, no, no, no. You were about to call me out for not liking movies you sent me. The only one you sent me that I didn't like was, was Chud. Chud. I, I did like um, Sleepaway, Camp. Sleepaway Camp. Okay, yeah. cool. And the rest and I was Sleepaway... like, no, I'm not going to watch that. That sounds stupid. Sleepaway Camp 2 was not nearly as good. No, no. I could tell all. that there was no reason for me to watch anything else from that series because the twist of Sleep Away Camp was so good that they couldn't top it, and the twist is what made the first movie. So yeah, in the absolutely. second and third one, they completely ignore the twist. Yeah, that's stupid. That's just <laughs> it, stupid. It's just Bruce Springsteen's sister is Angela and kills people. But um, yeah. have you guys seen uh? Castle Freak, Stuart Gordon's Castle Freak. I have not. Uh, I only ask because yesterday the remake hit Shutter. Um, the, it's a 2020 remake. Oh really? You weren't you weren't happy with it? Um, what? <laughs> you weren't happy with it? With what? Shutter. You said you canceled it. Why did I cancel that? You can't scrounge up four bucks a month out of the couch cushions. Buddy, my kids think change is toys. They put it like up their butts and shit. So like You don't? Four bucks out of the couch isn't realistic in this household. Four bucks out of Ender's butt, I guess then. Just shake shake Ender until four bucks falls out. Which little butt he holds his shit in. Oh god. Which like skit comedy show did the ass penny skit where like the guy shoved ten dollars in pennies up his ass every day and then he was like at the end of the skit he was like 
this many million pennies has been distributed through this country, and I guarantee you've got one of my ass pennies in your pocket. I, <laughs> I like that. Mm. Um, no, I, I don't know why I cancer, c- cancered. Canceled. Yeah. I don't even want to talk about it anymore after that mess up. That's fine. Right. Did, I t- did I tell you guys I fell down the stairs? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about you falling down the stairs. Um, so we, ha- we have a, uh, an older cat. He's coming up on 13 and one of the new cats attacks him at all times, including when he's in Good the litter box. Yeah. Okay. So Kruger is the older one and Clark attacks him when he is in the litter box attempting to take a piss. So Who's he Clark named after, by the way, I'm just curious. Clark Griswold. Was he? Yes. He came around okay. Christmas. Yeah. What's Clark Griswold? Um, okay. What? Yeah, okay. Right. I've never seen a, a National Lampoon's Vacation movie. Any of them? MC? I can't believe, I can't believe because I showed Brittany National Lampoon's I'm faking it. I vacation. know those movies. Jesus Christ. Okay, MC. Holy <laughs> cow. Holy cow. That was about that movie club. We got to watch the Christmas one. Has Brittany seen the Christmas one, Steve? I made her watch Christmas Vacation, to which she said she didn't want to watch it, and then she laughed out loud the entire time. Then the next time I said, hey, let's watch Christmas Vacation again. She said, I didn't like that. That might might be. She says you could have shown her MC, but she forgot. That might be in my top three favorite movies. He doesn't give a fuck. I I hope she's still talking about Christmas Vacation while naked off screen, by the way. No, she's not naked anymore. Oh. But, um, so, so Clark attacks, Clark attacks Kruger when he's doing anything, right? Which means he wakes us up in the middle of the night now, and I take him and put him in the litter box and hang out there and guard him so he doesn't piss, like, so that the other guy doesn't attack him while he pisses. So, after putting him in the box, I went downstairs and Lois's gym shoes were on the middle stair, and I hit it with my right foot, and my feet went completely out from under me, and I tumbled down the like all the stairs. And oh my god! I smashed my wrist on the newel post, which is sharp, so I'm like bleeding and laying on, on the, the ground. Post? The newel post. It is the uh, name for the banister, the thing at the end of the banister. Um, no, I was not aware of that. N-U-L-E post, Newell post. Um, this is such a, a fucking, like, nerdy writer thing. <laughs> no, it's just the thing. It, it's like the, the the pedestal at the end that has, like, a ball on the end sometimes or some kind of decorative whatever, the Newell post. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard the word Newell post, though. Oh, it's in, uh, it's in Christmas Vacation. He chainsaws it off the top and goes, honey, fix the Newell post. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> um, yeah, so I slammed my hand into that, and I wasn't fully, I wasn't like awake enough to be scared or worried about falling. I just like tumbled down all the stairs and went, ah. And Lois, <laughs> and Lois woke up. I was like, "What happened? What happened?" It was like, "You threw me down the stairs with your shoe." <laughs> and then I woke up. I was like, "Fuck, this is gonna suck in the morning," because I'm in my thirties, this is going to be terrible. And I woke up, I was like, I feel fine. And then like halfway through the next day, I was like, well, my arm only goes up to here now. (laughs) Speaking of your arm only going up to here. Now, if you were to die on this day, your arm wouldn't go anywhere and you'd be placed in the casket. 
And while we're talking about caskets, let's talk about the casket lottery. And on this episode, we have Jesus Christ with Nathan Ellis from the casket lottery. So and he was also in Coalesce and Abel Baker Fox. So let's get into it. All right, so um, this is Two Beats Off podcast, episode number 17. We have Nathan Ellis from Coalesce, the Casket Lottery, and Abel Baker Fox here. Um, usually what we do is try and start back from as far back as you can remember. And um, just what your childhood was like, where you grew up, um, whether or not it was Kansas City, and um, if you had a musical childhood, be it like your parents or anything like that. Sure. Well, um, so the first about 10 years of my life, I lived in um, a little uh, suburb outside of Columbia, Missouri, which is a college town called Midway. Um, and I really didn't, you know, have like a, any, any musical experiences there at all. Um, we moved to Kansas City uh, when I was about 11 or 12, I think. And uh, that's when I started meeting uh, other kids who were into like skateboarding and that's where all of my initial interests in music came from. I also have an older sister who, you know, got me into, um, some of my favorite bands still like the cure and Morrissey and Susie and the Banshees and stuff like that. Um, but no, my parents weren't, weren't musical at all. Um, you know, they, they listened to, you know, the records around the house, but that was always like, um, Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson, uh, George Jones, uh, that kind of stuff, which I, you know, I still love all of those records, uh, but obviously not like a major musical influence on me personally. You know, I don't, you know, have any of that in me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, got into to music and, and punk bands um, just through skateboarding uh, when I, when I moved to Kansas City. Um, and then you want me to keep rolling? Like, yeah, yeah. So I'd say, you know, around like the ages of 14 and 15 is when I really started, um, getting into punk bands and going into going to shows around town. Um, I think I started my first band probably, uh, at the age of, 15 or 16 um i i had seen a local band here uh the day before i started eighth grade and the band was called kill creek and as soon as i saw that band um i you know it was like the first time i realized that normal looking dudes could could be in bands you know it wasn't like just just like the rock stars that you see on tv or uh, you know, music videos or anything like that. So I saw this band play and, and I love that band and I still love that band. They put out great records, uh, but they were normal looking, you know, I could, I could relate to them. I could, I saw them on stage and I, you know, they were total nerds. And um, so that next day uh, I think was my first day of eighth grade. And that's when I started my first band. Do you remember? Uh, and that was just, well, yeah, that Sorry, was just, uh, you know, that was just, you know, uh, it was a high school band, um, but I was in eighth grade. I was the young one in that band. So, 
Um, it was called Matilda, and we just played Lee Summit High School Party. That's it. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. Do you um, remember what, um, and it doesn't have to be like a punk band because uh, usually it seems to not be, what the first, uh, whether it was a tape or record that you considered your own, like that was either gifted to you or you bought yourself? Yeah, I really. It's, it's a tough one. I've, we've had the Happy yeah. Days soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Prince. you know, when, when when I was really young, my sister and I had, the thriller record and I, I remember listening to that just a ton and that that was when I was like five you know and I just right, liked right. it because it, it it scared me and it was <laughs> and I liked it you know I liked that it was like you know uh, you know made me uncomfortable um, but I don't you know I had an older sister so like all of my music you know for the first 10 years of my life came from her so you know I, right. initially I was going to say like uh, the kiss me, kiss me, kiss me tape uh, by The Cure, but I just, I just, that was hers, you know, and I just listened right. to it all the time. So, so I, yeah, I guess I can't really remember my first. Uh, okay, you That's know, surely, I mean, surely, I mean, it might, it might be like the Operation Ivy tape that had like everything they ever recorded on it. It might be right. the Minor Threat discography that I got from a friend of mine, a skateboarding friend. Uh, those seem like, uh, or uh, Misfits' uh, Legacy of Brutality. That might have been it, actually. That, nice. That's totally it. That's, that's the first one that I got that was all mine. That's a great corral of records to, to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so how long between uh, Matilda which I think my father-in-law actually named his chicken, his one chicken, Matilda. Um, how long between Matilda and Coalesce slash Casket Lottery? How many years was that? Well, so Matilda was probably like I was 15, eighth grade, something like that. Um, I started traveling with Coalesce in, when, when I was a junior in high school. And that was before I was in the band. I was... Um, I was just a kid who hopped in to go to, you know, the, the out of state festivals and, um, and see all these other bands around the country. And, um, and then when Stacy decided that he didn't want to be in Coalesce anymore, uh, it was the summer before I started my senior year in high school. And that's when I, when I joined the band. So I was like 17, yeah, I was like 17 years old when I joined Cola, and I'd never played bass before. I was a guitar player before that, right? right? And um, so, like, I already had plans to go to college. I, you know, I, I'd already put money into it was just community college plans. Uh, but I got, you know, my tuition money back and bought bass gear and and just hit the road with Cola after that. So wow. when I was trying to look stuff up as far as like, you know, Cola, the when you joined and everything, it said that Stacy left because of quote exhaustion from aggressive performances. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was there. I was I was there at the show when it was when it was his breaking point. But you know, that's kind of the story, <laughs> and <Right. laughs> and that's the story that Stacy still tells. And like you know, he might feel that way, but I. I don't ever feel like 
Stacy was ever 100% really into Coalesce. You know, it was just, you know, those were his high school friends. He went to high school with Jess. Um, right. But that was never, that was never really his musical uh, preference. You know, we always talked uh, before we started Casket Lottery, when I was in the van with Coalesce, we always took the night drives and we would listen to uh, Boys Life and Giants Chair and Shudder to Think and, you know, Discord Records and, and talk about starting something like that. You know, that was, that was way more his speed. So, um, we were at a festival in Pennsylvania and shit hit the fan and it got ugly and uh, all the equipment ended up in the crowd and somebody got hurt and, and coalesce kind of got like, like really like ostracized at that show. Like all of a sudden we were everybody at that show's enemy and it was awkward as fuck. And that was like, that was, that was Stacy's last show. That was when he was like, I'm not into this, you know, didn't want to be, yeah, it was. Yeah, he did not want to wear the black hat. You know, he was not into that scene. So, uh, so yeah, that was the last show of that. It was some sort of East Coast tour, and um, that was it for him. And and uh, I joined the band probably like the next week. Did that like kind of concern you at all joining the band, knowing like, I mean, obviously you'd been around the band on tour all the time, so you knew what shows were like, but seeing him get exhausted from that type of thing and hopping in to take the place of that? No, I loved it. No, I was all in, man. I, I was I was ready for it. And um yeah. you know, I I you know, I was I just was a big fan of that band. Like I, I loved uh Give Them Rope had just come out. I think that record crushes and you know I was I did not hesitate in the slightest. And also as a kid, you know, like I just wanted to get in the van and tour and, and, and go out and play music with my friends. So like, I was, I was all about it. So I, when I was, it said, um, you guys kind of got a lot of issues from straight edge kids and hardcore kids because of the way your shows were, and they would approach you and almost try to start fights. Was that still going on when you joined? Yeah, that happened a few times. And a lot of that was just on um, Ingram's personal history. You know, he yeah. b- before he started Coalesce with Jess, he was in a, a straight-edge hardcore band. And then he moved to Syracuse, like, during uh, all the Firestorm uh, heyday right. and, like, lived with those dudes. And then, uh, you know, I think he, like, really got turned off by it. So um, he soon moved back to Kansas City and, and wrote a song called Harvest of Maturity. It's on the first Coalesce record, and it's kind of like the anti-Straight Edge song. So <laughs> that thing just kind of followed the band around forever, you know. And um, anytime, you know, we were in some town that had that Straight Edge gang, they would show up, you know. Oof. Were you um, ever And we edge? had a few. Yeah, well, I, I mean, yes. You're among friends. It's okay. Stephen and I yeah, both. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes. Uh, until I was about like 20, probably, and then you know, I don't know if it counts when you're under 21, right? Like, what the fuck was I gonna do? Smoke cigarettes? No, thank you. That's gross. Right. But I smoked when I was uh, 22, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I yes, I was, but I think just in the way that everybody gets into the music scene, you know, it's like. I was just, I just showed up and that's what was happening. And I was like, cool, I'm in, you know? Um, 
Yeah, I don't think I ever really took it too seriously, but I do believe that I said I was, yes. <laughs> no tattoos then. No tattoos, no, thank God. No, yeah. no, wa no watch squirreled away in a drawer somewhere. <laughs> I do not have the swatch, no. <laughs> so you fill in for Coalesce, and then you and um, Stacy start kind of like jamming Casket Liar. How did you meet um, the drummer, Nathan Richardson? Um, it, it, I, it's interesting because I just listened to a podcast that Stacy did, like, two weeks ago or something and he told yeah. the story and I had totally forgotten about it. So if you would have asked me this two weeks ago, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you, but <laughs> right. um, I was, I was skateboarding uh, here in Lee summit with some friends and um, this, this kid came up and I, it's funny. I call him a kid because obviously I was a kid too at the time, but um, I was probably 18 and I was skating and, and this 15 year old comes up and says, Hey, i I, I heard you play music, uh, and I'm a drummer. I'd love to play with you sometime. And that's when Stacy and I were kind of looking for somebody to play drums. We didn't have a lead on a drummer at all. So um, so we set that up really quick. I mean, probably, like, within three days, and then that was it. Like, I didn't know this kid at all, you know? And um, we ended up bringing our gear over to his house uh, in Lee Summit, and... Um, you know, 15 year old kid, his parents were super sweet. And, um, and yeah, we kind of just like took him under our wing and like, we had him on tour at the age of 15, you know, it was awesome. yeah, yeah. that all happened really quick too. You know, like we just, uh, we started Cascalotter kind of as a reason to, um, or a way to get back out on the road and, and go see our friends, you know, and, New York or California or Florida or whatever. It was like, it was just because Stacy and I wanted to do a different type of band and Coalesce wasn't full time at that point. So it was like, all right, cool. I've got time, you know? So I just spent as much time as I could out on the road. So you got the casket lottery starting and Coalesce kind of fizzling for like the first of like 12 times. Um, yeah. It says it said that you guys recorded um, functioning on impatience in three days. Though I'm curious as to what that process was like, and if looking back on it, you would change that, or if you're happy how it turned out. Well, I mean, all of that was by necessity. That's just budget, you know, and that's okay, just what gotcha. we had. To, yeah, that's just what we had to work with. Um, I didn't remember that it was three days, but that adds up. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Wikipedia said it. It must be true. It must be true. But, you know, bef before functioning, um, I was in the band about one week, and we went in and recorded a bunch of, like, we re-recorded the 002 songs, and I think, like, the Boys That's Fire split, the Get Up Kids split, a Black Sabbath cover. Like, we just kind of did, like, uh, like, one song for a comp, you know. Right. Uh, I'm sure that was all done in like two or three days too. That's just like, that's just because we didn't have any money, you know, <laughs> we were just yeah. doing as much as we could, as fast as we could. Yeah, um, we've been would, through that. <laughs> would, do I think that that recording would be better if we had more time? Sure. Yeah. But um, that recording is what it is. And I, I still think it sounds pretty great. It's like really clear for a hardcore record of that time. You know, it's like everything is really 
separated and mixed super well. And that's just because we were lucky enough to work with Ed Rose all the time. It's pretty intricate for uh, like, that was what I thought was most impressive about the three days for how it sounds on top of how intricate the record is in general to complete a record like that in that short amount of time is like, it's not heard of that often, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and, you know, that was the first functioning was the first time that I was writing and contributing with, with coalesce. And um, I have really uh, clear memories of putting those songs together with Jess, because that was just he and I in his living room, like putting the parts together. And um, of course I was really young and, and uh, trying to impress him. So every, every time, like I threw something out that sucked, or that he liked, you know, like that just was fuel for me. It felt felt really cool, you know. Uh, right. so like, yeah, I, I have a really fond memory of making that record. So, how did the Led Zeppelin cover album come into play? And what a weird idea, right? <laughs> yeah. We, um, <laughs> initially, initially, that was going to be a bunch of like classic rock songs. We were going to do like a Jimi Hendrix song and a mountain song and, um, you know, a cream song and stuff like that. Uh, but we ended up with like three or four Zeppelin songs and we were like, I, I cannot, I can't choose. We just couldn't figure <laughs> out which ones to cut. So we just decided to do an all Zeppelin thing. And it's funny because like, it was such a spur of the moment idea and then we just did it and then it was done. And now it's like, it's just out there. <laughs> it's something that has happened. And I don't, you know, I feel like if any band came up with an idea like that in this day and age, they would talk themselves out of it before it got that far. But, <laughs> you know, we just went all the way through with it and there it is. It exists. Very admirable. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the the follow through on what was probably a lark idea is excellent. Right. <laughs> Did yeah. you guys play those like songs when you were touring around that time, or was it mostly just? Yeah, we played a couple of them out pretty often. Um, I feel like a whole lot of love got played pretty often, and out on the tiles got played a lot too. Nice. So that same year that you guys did that record, um, you went on tour and you had to go home early. And it sounds like that's what led to eventually breaking up. Do you want to speak to that at all and renting a U-Haul and driving it the whole way home? That sounds shitty. Is what I'm it getting was at. Terrible. Yeah, it was <laughs> terrible. But you know what? Touring back then was always terrible. Like I mean, we always had shows get canceled and. You know, we never made any money. We always ate terribly. Um, right. You know, we we slept in the van because we didn't have any money. And I mean, all those all those tours were pretty rough. Um, uh, I, and obviously, I loved it. You know, it was um, it was still freedom for me as you know, a seventeen eighteen year old kid. Um, but yes, the the tour you're alluding to, we um, we had just signed with Relapse and. Um, before we even recorded anything with Relapse, we got enough money to buy a van, and we went out on an East Coast run, um, and then we were home for about a week, and then we did a West Coast run, and we didn't make it very far on the West Coast run. I think we went like 
you know, probably like Colorado, Salt Lake. And then we were in Idaho when the van blew up and, um, you know, it was, it was a no doubter right away. You know, the engine blew up and, um, the, the tension in the van at that point was already a little bit too much because Sean, who was the band's dad was always trying to keep everybody happy and, and make the tours productive and and you know we were we just signed a record contract with relapse you know we were we were doing stuff and i was the kid who just was happy to be there um but jess like was just kind of burnt out didn't want to be there anymore and um when the van blew up like the immediate reaction he had was this is awesome. Now I can fly home. I don't have to do this. And it was like the <laughs> oh, last God. thing that should have been said. Right. So that Holy was shit. it. Like, that's how that, that's how that happened. And, and, um, and yeah, Jeff and Dan, one of the other guys who was in the van with us, Dan from second nature records flew home and Sean James and myself rented a U-Haul and, uh, took shifts in the back of that U-Haul with all the equipment driving home. And, uh, yeah, that's about like a, you know, 30 hour drive, something like that. Yeah. Geez. And, 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 you know, we just left the van. I, I sometimes think about that. <laughs> like, I wonder where, where the hell that van is, but yeah, so that, that contract was signed so we could get that van that blew up, but now we had to make the record in order to pay off, you know, our deal on the contract. So, um Jesus. you know we probably didn't talk for a few weeks and then we got to work <laughs> on the record which of course was not you know we weren't all just in a room like talking about what we wanted to do it was just feeling committed to get this thing done uh so it was jeff and i putting all of the ideas together um and then you know we got together with james and bashed out all the music. I don't even really remember if Sean came to those practices, honestly. <laughs> and then when we rec when we recorded that record, it was, it, and you mentioned that functioning was three days. This was probably, uh, you know, it was more than three days, but it was all separate. So right. James, and, James and Jess recorded the drums and guitar uh, while I was out of town doing Casket Lottery Tour. Um, and then I got home and I think I recorded all of the bass tracks for that record. Oh, one, two, uh, in like three hours because I was just there for a casket lottery session. So I just banged out all the bass tracks and then got to work on whatever casket lottery project we were doing. And then like weeks later, Sean Ingram went in there and did the vocals. And I remember getting the, the mixes back like two months after tracking them. I'm thinking this could have been really cool. <laughs> I cheated it like like we were making a record, but you know that's that's how that one that's how that one happened. So in that same year that you put out 012 with Coalesce, Casket Lottery finally puts out a first LP, um, the Reflector Split. How did you like? It almost seems impossible to manage that much writing production on top of touring and everything at that time. Like, did, do you remember that being a pretty hectic time, or were you just kind of going with the flow? Yeah, no. Uh, that, we were super productive. Cassie Letter was super productive for the first probably 12 months as a band. And 
um, in hindsight, you know, I realized like how much we did in like the first 12, 18 months, but I don't remember. It wasn't a challenge. Like I don't ever remember, right. ever remember being at a practice being like, we need more songs. You know, it wasn't <laughs> ever like that. We were just writing and having fun and stockpiling the songs. And then like any time and I, you know, a, a project came up, we were happy to like get back in the studio and, and record the song. And, and that was like the big piece for me uh, personally. It's like, I loved being in the studio. So like, if anybody wanted to pay for us to go in and do something, we were going to do it. Like, and um, I would have, you know, I'd have the songs ready. We we'd figure out a way to um, do that comp or split or whatever it was, you know, we, we, we had the song. So um, I just wanted to be in the studio playing around with, with Ed and coming up with the fun sounds and the fun ideas. So How did that like relationship first, be in then? With Ed, um, I yeah, I was lucky enough to just inherit a relationship with Ed through Coalesce. Um, they had recorded "Give Them Rope" with Ed, and you know, I like I said, I was in the studio a week after joining the band to track all those other random uh, Coalesce songs, and and that was my first um, first time meeting Ed, and first time really being in like a real studio, you know. Um, right. But I mentioned I mentioned Kill Creek being the band that got me into playing music, and Ed Rose recorded that Kill Creek record that like got me so psyched on on being in a rock band. And in that Kill Creek record that I had the uh, their first full length called St. Valentine's Garage, Ed wrote all of the liner notes that has like the the stories of of like producing those songs and the recording days. So like I had read that booklet probably hundreds of times. So when I met him, I was like, Holy shit, this is like, this is super cool. that I get to hang out with this guy. And, um, you know, if, if you've ever talked to anybody who's recorded with Ed Rose, um, you might get like two very different stories uh, of who this guy is because he is intense. He's like, He's a no-nonsense guy, and if he doesn't like your band, he's going to tell you. And he's going to tell you Ooh. that <laughs> you, you suck at the drums and you're slowing down the process. Like he will let it rip, you know. He he's um, you know that's just the way he is. Um, but I was always I I loved working with the guy, and and that's not to say he didn't never you know give me a piece of his mind too, you know. Like, uh, but it always made me better and it made me um come more prepared to the studio or make sure i had my shit down and knew what i was going to do vocally before i got in that booth you know um and i think you know so often you potentially can work with a producer who just is going to track what you're going to do and if i would have wound up with somebody like that i don't think i would have progressed very far so right. you know i i know that you know, working with Ed, um, you know, and I've recorded hundreds of songs with him uh, now. Um, I know he's made me better, and I know that he is my biggest influence and mentor. That type of relationship is really valuable for something like that. Yeah, yeah and, it, you know, you don't know it rolling into it, you know. You don't right. know 
who's going to have that kind of impact on you. But, but he was it for me. Do you remember, like, when you first started, were you kind of warned, like, hey, this dude's kind of like, he's going to let you know what's going on? Or was there a moment where you're like, holy fuck, this dude's, like, giving me some shit right now? <laughs> no. Uh, so I had no idea, you know, rolling in for that Coalesce session. I, and I was just trying to impress Jeff at that point like I didn't right. I couldn't even worry about the producer you know I just wanted to like show up to this first session and and have my parts down and be able to play you know some of these fucked up riffs that he was throwing at me so I was too focused <laughs> on like I was in my own head you know and um and worried about impressing Jeff and you know there must have been some moments you know in those early coalesce sessions where I realized you know this is a hard ass and this is somebody who um, we'll call you on your shit if you don't know what you're doing. Um, because I, I, I know that I was far more nervous going in with Casco Lottery stuff. And a lot of that's because Coalesce wasn't ever my band. You know, it was right. always Jeff yeah. and Sean. So I was happy to show up and, and contribute and do my parts and, you know, make sure that what I was doing was cool too. But with Casco Lottery, it was like, those are my songs. And, you know, if, if that wasn't good, the session wasn't going to be good. You know, he he definitely let me know that. So, um, you know, I, I think the, the roughest I ever had it with Ed was um, when we were tracking uh, the first full length. It wasn't even like the first EP or anything. Like we were, we'd already like done some, some stuff together, but um, we went in to do the vocals for the first song on the first full length, a song called Midway. And, um, you know, I was just like going through it, and he was like, "You don't know what the fuck you're doing yet." Like, <laughs> I, he's totally right. I was just like, you know, yelling a bunch of words or whatever, and and Stacy had like, you know, the these, you know, the other vocals that were on top of my vocals, and he was like, he he threw us out. He was like, you because we were completely done with all the music so far at that point, and um, you know, I think he knew that you know, he liked the band, he liked the record and the songs, and he didn't want us to fuck it up with this half-assed vocal, so he, he kicked us out. And we were supposed to do, like, the next two or three days, uh, just knocking out all the vocals for the record, and he was like, nope, you guys, you guys don't know what you're doing. Call me back when you're ready. Yeah. Wow. Threw us, threw us out, straight up. To, to a, uh... But, but I'm, no, but I'm really thankful for it. I'm really grateful that that's the way that went down, you know? To, to a lesser extent, I had uh, Jay Robbins tell me I sounded too much like Axl Rose one time, and it really <laughs> fucked up. Like, <laughs> really took me out of yeah. the, the spot I was in. I was like, oh no. <laughs> you know, you could remind Jay that Axl Rose sold far more records than Jay Robbins did. <laughs> I am. I don't know if I, we're there yet. <laughs> no, I was I was in that scared spot where I was like, I just need to impress Jay Robbins. I'm not going to shit yeah. on him. <laughs> you know, I, that's interesting you bring up Jay because, like, he's the only other producer I've worked with because Ed retired not too long ago, and I did a, a record oh. with Jay Robbins. And, and I had the same, you know, the same feeling, you know, like, Jay's a hero, right? Like, he's a guitar yeah. god and, and uh, he's a super sweet guy and, um, yeah, but to be on uh, the other side of the glass with Jay is a little intense too. 
I don't want to hop too far ahead, but which record did you do with Jay? Uh, it was it was the second Abel Baker Fox bowling. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I don't want to get to there yet because that's like ten years later. That might be twenty. Oh my years god, later. <laughs> we've got so much more to talk about. Yeah. So when did coalesce break up after O one two? Then I, it seemed like a fuzzy amount of touring shows and uh, whatever's yeah. in the middle. Well, if I remember correctly, um, it, the the Idaho van incident was was probably it. I don't know if okay. we played any shows after that. You know, we gotcha. just did that record, and then uh, a couple of years later is when there was the reunion tour. Um, gotcha. The reunion tour was was tricky because. Um, you know, I got a call from from James and Sean, and they were like, "Hey, uh, we're talking about doing Coalesce again. Uh, why don't you meet us at the diner tonight at like nine o'clock?" And I was like, "Oh, cool, yeah." And I had no idea Jess was even interested, right? So I show up, and Jess isn't there, and and they start breaking it down for me, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, no, Jess doesn't want to do it. We were thinking you could play guitar, and Stacy will play bass." And I was oh. like, nope, no, thank you. <laughs> that's awkward. <laughs> not, I, that's, I'm not interested, you know. So so I left uh, that one, left that one out there, and uh, they found this other guy who was a very capable guitar player who, who did that tour, and Stacey did go out and play bass on that tour. Ah, uh, gotcha. And you were mostly focused you know? on Casket Lottery around that time, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah. So how was the reception then when you, because I'm sure it's a completely different ballgame going from playing in a band like Coalesce to putting out uh, your splits and your demos and then releasing Choose Bronze. What was that transition like? Was it almost, because I went at one point in my life from playing in a hardcore band to playing in like an emo band, and it was almost a refreshing transition for me at that point. Yeah, you know, I think out here in the, in the Midwest, uh, all the shows, you know, between 95 and 2000, <clears throat> every band was playing with every band anyway. You know, like it right. was, you know, Coalesce and Get Up Kids were playing together all the time. Um, or, you know, Get Up Kids and Boys Life and, you know, Iron Right Mangle or whatever. You know, like all the shows were just kind of a mishmash anyway. I feel like on the coast, it was a little bit more separated. But like in the Midwest, I think it was just, tours collided around here and we just kind of ended up with whatever was happening. And so all the same kids were at all the, the same shows anyway. Right. There were a few moments where we would go out on tour um, specifically, you know, right when we put out the, uh, the first record or before the first record where the flyers would say casket lottery members of coalesce and right. everybody expected <laughs> a metal band, you know, and, there was a few of those shows, but the interesting thing is like, you know, I feel like we kind of got in the doorway that way. And there was plenty of metal kids who came out to those shows who are still casket lottery fans, who I still know and still talk to, but they never would have showed up if they, you know, if it said, uh, Midwest emo band, the casket lottery. Right. They came because it was members of Coalesce. I think there's a certain, like, 
there's a difference too between because a lot of the casket lottery stuff, especially like when you were into the later stuff, was pretty intricate as well compared to a lot of, I guess, when you say Midwest emo bands at that time. So I'm sure there's also that kind of interest that you get from metal and hardcore fans just based off that. Yeah, probably. You know, and a lot of, you know, the way that um, I've continued to write Casalotti songs, a lot of that's just from my experience writing with Jeff. You know, like that, that's something that you don't unlearn, you know? Right. I've noticed that uh, like the newer stuff, especially the last record is a lot more aggressive than some of the other stuff. And it's a pretty cool mix of like, like former stuff. And then you can almost hear the coalesce influence more in the newer stuff. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely dark and loud and heavy, you know, and um, that's just kind of, that's just kind of my wheelhouse. That's like where I, it's it's interesting. It's interesting how uh, you could take that style and kind of morph it because it's like, like you said, if you're from playing with Jess, that's how you uh, uh, form those songs. But it's like putting it into a different context that changes it completely almost. Does that make sense? Like that same yeah. style of like, but put it in a different context creates something unique in the casculary. It's more like it's the filter that, it, that the song gets run through, right? Like right. Is, is this transition interesting enough? You know, this doesn't have to be just 4-4 four, four here, you know? Um, it, it's just kind of a, a mindset. It's not the same influence, you know, for sure. Like Jess's biggest influence of all time was Metallica. That was his favorite band. And he always thought that he was writing riffs that sounded like Metallica. And I was like, uh, uh, I don't know what you're hearing, but it's like, it's fucked up, man. Like whatever you're doing right now, is really fucked up. And, um, you know, he thought he was, you know, doing some, some Metallica Pantera thing. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's how like a lot of songwriters do it, right? And I I would say that like the only reason that Castellari songs seem super interesting or different or weird is because I don't really know what I'm doing. Like I feel like I know more now what I'm doing. <laughs> but when I was starting Castellari, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just like um, writing whatever happened. And if I thought hey, this song's going to have more of like a jawbreaker sound, you know, and then I do it and I can't do that. I could, like, and I still suck at cover songs. Like, I'll just put that out there. I can't play other people's <laughs> music, you know. So when you don't really know what you're doing, sometimes you stumble on something a little bit interesting, I think. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So you guys did the small brown bike split. I'm assuming that's how Abel Baker Fox came to be because, you, I mean, same area, right? Kind of. Yeah. Midwest. I mean, it, yeah. Abel Baker Fox is, was later, obviously, but um, uh, Small Brown Bikes, a Michigan band, and uh, we're from Kansas City. So that's, you know, that's a distance away. But um, we we did end up just playing with them a few times, like in Chicago or whatever, and just really hit it off. You know, they were just, kind of immediately like our brother band and we did a lot of touring together after that and then we just kind of decided you know we should we should try you know a project and you know i think it initially was going to be a split and then it just kind of morphed into that collaboration thing 
Um, and then of course, like during that process, you know, I, I, just, I really enjoyed playing with Mike and Ben and Jeff. And, and that, that was like when, when small bar and Mike slowed down, it was, it was the logical choice to, you know, write something and, and get something going together. Casket lottery wasn't doing anything at that point. So, um, yeah, we, we just kind of talked on the phone and put ideas together um, over the internet, and and that's how we will base a box started. Did that kind of stem from Casket Lottery taking a hiatus, or just kind of coincidental? It happened around the same time. Uh, I'm sure it did. Yeah, I mean, Casket Lottery did a lot in a really short period of time, and then you really did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got pretty burnt out. Like after you know, doing that for like three and a half years. And so we, we definitely needed a break from each other. And, um, you know, and then Junior got married and, you know, he had kids and Stacy got married and had a kid and I already had kids. So it was like, we were all in different stages of that, you know? And right. um, so all of a sudden there was time to do stuff. They didn't want to do anything. And so that's when I, um, reached out to those small round bike guys and, and we decided to do that project at that point. It's pretty impressive that some of the songs were written over the internet because they're pretty wild songs. All the songs are written over the internet. Able yeah. Baker Fox is, is, is bonkers. And so, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I love the way that that project works. So basically like every, you know, somebody who sends out an idea like just like one riff or one you know it, it can even be like two or three parts of the song and then somebody will put the next piece down on top of it and it just it's like a chain letter man and it just bounces back and forth and that's how we wrote that entire record and then we got together for one weekend in chicago and put all the songs together like they were already together like on a you know you know rough demo format right we got together demoed them in the room together and then the next week we were in the studio and that record was done in three days that is nuts jesus yeah and and that's why that record's so awesome i love that record because of that because of how no nonsense it is who'd you record um the first abel baker fox record with that that was with Ed Rose. Okay, gotcha. I liked how you described it as no nonsense because when you listen to those songs, it's like, not that they're full of nonsense or anything. That's not what I mean, but they're they are elaborate. <laughs> like the idea, I've played in a band in bands with difficult folks, and the idea of just putting a part on top of it and being like, "Yep, that's it," without any discussion is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> And that's kind of why it's so cool because like if I send out the the riff or the song and the next part comes back and it's like completely different than what I would have done or what I had in my head and it changes the entire vibe of the song, you know, that's why I love it because it's, right. um, and man, it's, it's, it's as collaborative as it gets because you're not standing in a, in a room and looking at somebody and giving the stink eye, like, mm, no, let's try this instead, you know? No, it just comes back and you're like, oh, fuck, that's awesome. I never would have, 
thought of that, you know? That's a, what a wild way to make a record. I guess uh, you guys were kind of ahead of your time with that now that I feel like a lot of bands are more remote. Like the, the idea of everyone living in the same city or the same house or whatever is kind of a thing yeah. of the past now. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, I just, just before you guys called me, I just got a mix of a cover song that we just did through the internet. Uh, Avery Baker Fox, who did uh, uh, What's So Funny About People of an Understanding. And, like, I just oh, got the mix awesome. of it. And I'm like, this is fucking cool, like, you know, that we can, uh, you know, send the parts back and forth. So that's yeah, so that cool. happened. Yeah, that's great. It's a pretty pretty rough mix. I mean, we're all <laughs> recording shit at home, but it works. Right. Um, so around this time, Coalesce gets back together and puts out the Ox LP. How did all that come together? Uh, so you have to have had... ADHD. <laughs> well, yeah. What else am I gonna do? This is all I got. <laughs> um, I I had. Uh, oldest daughter's birthday party at my house and both Sean and Jess were there with with their kids and that was kind of like the first conversation about you know it would be fun to like play some music and by that time James was I think he was living in Long Island or something maybe doing my chemical romance stuff so um I just suggested you know I bet Nathan Richardson you know Cafe Lettering Jr. would do it and um and yeah we just kind of got together to to see how it would go and um i think initially like we learned a bunch of older songs just to see like what it was like to play those songs with junior right. uh, and before ox we, we did a seven inch called salt and passage and um so it was kind of like a trial run just to see <laughs> and uh and we loved it immediately and you know a lot of the you know bullshit you know that we had in the van with us when we were kids wasn't around anymore it didn't matter anymore it was just um it was just fun then so so yeah it was it was just good timing and it was completely logical for us to work on a, a record and um and we did it and not only did we do the record like we did full tour cycles we did east coast west coast and that was the first time we went to europe too was uh, on that record I totally forgot until you mentioned it, but I do want to ask what it's like to be in a band with um, James from Reggie and the Full Effect. Does he do his personalities on tour, or is he just James? James is James, man. Like you, you all, you're always <laughs> he's the same. Like on <laughs> record, or like if you ever talk to him, he's always the same guy. So. Uh, yeah, a complete character, and like I've I've got some stories about James, man. But um, yeah, just uh, yeah. He's Any favorite time. James stories you want to tell? Well, so James has like the worst, or I should say had. I don't know <laughs> anymore, but like the worst diet of any person you've ever met. Like he just eats. <laughs> terrible bullshit and like candy and like just constantly and smokes all the time and you know and we were in the studio recording probably uh functioning or something and he had like gone down to the gas station down the street and got 
like meatloaf or something. It was like in this like styrofoam <laughs> clamshell. Oh, and, like, gas station like, meatloaf. Oh, yeah. He's like eating it in the in the control room, like while he's smoking at the same time. And I remember, like, he had this huge like granny ash on his cigarette, like hanging over his meatloaf. And I was like, eh, dude, you're, you're you're gonna you're gonna. And he just like licked it right in his meatloaf and just ate it. He's oh, like, yeah, oh. that's who I am. So that I mean, that's that's who we who see, man. Like, he's just he's a character. That's awesome. <laughs> At least he's consistent. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So how did the um, the 2012 run for cover real fear whole thing come up because you guys hadn't done much in a while before that right right i you know we i think we got together around 2010 and started messing around again and and played a few local shows and um yeah junior and stacy were both interested in and doing stuff again and uh we actually had met a keyboard player named nick siegel who was playing with us at the time and um, but you know, I, 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 I don't know if you notice this just in this conversation, but I don't like just playing old songs. Like I want to like keep writing and, and keep making new records and new songs. So right. I said, if we're going to do anything, like we got to write a new record, especially with the keyboard guy, you know, it doesn't make sense to try and squeeze the keyboard and all these old songs. So, so that was like, that was that project. We just wanted to write, write some new songs and, and, get back to work being a band again and um but the funny thing is like that process takes a while and by the time we wrapped up like junior was not interested anymore <laughs> so i was like okay <laughs> so we just like finished this record we went and you know we played a handful of shows around the midwest and um you know did some some more local show stuff but we never gave that record the push that I really wanted to. I love that record. I think it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's a very eerie sounding record. It's definitely unique. Yeah. It's, it's John Carpenter. Like, it's, yeah. It's like, Hell yeah. We wanted to, we wanted to go full John Carpenter and, um, you know, with the keyboard player, we took advantage of that. And, um, so that's how that happened. And unfortunately it, it never got the push that I really wanted to give it. So, uh, was Nathan still in the Appleseed cast at that point, or had he left Appleseed cast already? The other Nathan. <laughs> he was not in it at that point. You know, I don't think he was with Appleseed very long. I know he recorded yeah. one record with those guys and probably did a tour or two, but um, yeah, I don't think he was with that band very long. Gotcha. Um, so we talked a little bit about Visions. You recorded that with Jay Robbins. Um, and I mean, the record sounds great. I didn't know it was with Jay Robbins. So knowing that now I'm probably going to re-listen to it again and kind of try and pick out some of the things that we um, noticed from him. We did an interview a little bit ago where we learned about a Jay Robbins technique called the Carmony. Did he ever talk to you guys about that? No. Okay, so from what we heard, it was if you try to put too many vocal layers on it, he'll tell you, you got to leave the harmony for the people who like to sing along in the car. But that's one of my favorite stories I've heard about Jay Robbins. <laughs> yeah. No, and, uh, and, and in par for the course with Abel Baker Fox, we did that record in three days too. That's like, we just tried to do the same recipe and we didn't have time to do 
too many <laughs> too many vocals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and you know, poor Jay, like um, like I said, everything before that record I'd done with Ed Rose, and I feel like he was really comfortable with like pushing me and and knowing my limits and stuff. But when we showed up to Magpie and talked to Jay about what we were doing, he was like, oh, "Wait, we're doing eleven songs and." three days is this what we're doing like, <laughs> he was not too sure about this you know um you know but i think by the end of it you know he was like oh, okay cool yeah it was possible but i think we scared the shit out of him at first <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah so since then um think i mean you guys played some shows and everything casket lottery a couple fest appearances um this new record kind of came out of nowhere i didn't even know it was happening how long have you had you guys been working on that well in 2018 uh run for cover records repressed the first three casket lottery lps so we started uh we did tours uh to support that east coast and west coast um and it was kind of just like at the end of that west coast run that he just decided all right, when we get home, let's like work on another record because it's, it's doing really good and, and we want more of this. You know, we want to get out and and play more shows and um, but I don't want to play songs that are 20 years old, you know, so. Right. Um, so yeah, as soon as I got home from that, you know, tour at the end of 2018, I started writing. I did most of the writing throughout the year of 2019. We hit the studio and uh, I think starting in December of 2019. And we wrapped up like right when lockdown started. So okay, yeah. Then we sat on it because it's like, well, what do you do now? Um, right. You know. And of course, this record is definitely written to be like played live. You know, it's it's a big rock record, and and that's what you you know <laughs> that's what I wanted to do with it. So <laughs> uh, so now we now we wait. Now we see what's next. You know, but. Um, we, we sat on it for a while and then we just decided it only makes sense that this record comes out right now. I mean, just like thematically and, um, you know, I felt like I was kind of missing the window. So we just went ahead and, and dropped it. Did you have the title short songs for end times before the, the end times are upon us or. Did... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was that was the working title like all through 2019, and by the time we wrapped up, it was like, yeah, there's no way we're changing that now. You know, that's like that's right. it. Um, but you know, honestly, like the last three years has been total garbage too. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's not like it was like prophetic or anything. It was, no, like, yeah, we, we were working towards a thing here. You know, it almost and I, I might be reading into it a little bit more than I should, but compared to a lot of Casket Lottery records, it almost feels a little bit more politically influenced lyrically than maybe some of your other stuff before. Am I totally off base with that? No, that's that's real. I mean, if you consider, like, um, you know, just just what, what we've all been hyper aware of for the last three years, it's, it's all around us all the time. I mean, um yeah i mean i haven't slept you know and 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 like going on four years now you know like i I, it's right it's terrifying out there and like it's not supposed to be this way so of course that's what you know i'm going to be writing about uh there was a there was a time you know 
back when I was working on Abel Baker Fox Visions record where like I was struggling to come up with lyric content, you know, because like mm -hmm. I'm a happily married dude with like two great <laughs> kids and a job, you know, it's like, man, what am I going to yell about? But there's no <laughs> shortage. There's no shortage right now of things to be pissed off about and things to be um, yelling into a microphone. So, um, yeah, no, you're, you're, you know, nail on the head there. No, wait, that's not how it goes. Hey, hammer on the nail, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Nailed yeah, it. You know that. You know how they say it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's. Uh, it, yeah, it's it's terrifying, and and you know it is interesting that the the record dropped with that record title here, and and we went straight into a pandemic, and uh, um, there's no pandemic lyrics on the record. <laughs> are, I did not curious. foresee that one coming. Are you um, are you in Kansas City, like the city still, or are you kind of in an area around it? Oh yeah, I'm in Kansas City proper. Okay, so it might be a little bit different there, but knowing the Midwest and the current state, you like the country and watching, you know, the election results. Have mm -hmm. like, are you mostly surrounded by giant? 10 foot tall Trump signs or is it pretty mixed where you're at? No, no, this is, so Kansas city, uh, I'm in Missouri, uh, state line, Missouri and Kansas, both Missouri right. and Kansas are red, red states for sure. But Kansas city is blue, you know, gotcha. uh, just like yeah, any yeah. other city, you know? So, um, through traveling lately, like just, with my family like we've gone to uh like we went to a cabin in oklahoma a couple of weeks ago just to get away um i went to arkansas not too long ago with a couple of friends and um of course like when you're driving like out in these communities where it's all you see is giant trump signs like in cornfields and stuff yeah it's a little terrifying uh terrifying yeah you you see it and you're like holy shit these people are, are like here this is I can throw a rock from my house and hit this practically, you know? Um, yeah. But, like, driving back into, like, my neighborhood, it was like, you know, there was, like, three Trump signs and mostly Biden signs. So, gotcha. and, and then the Biden, the Biden signs show up late, right? Like, we're not <laughs> right. flags or anything, you know? Um, <laughs> but, it, but at least it made me feel a little bit better about my neighbors. <laughs> That's, we we live in the the meat in the center of Pennsylvania between the two blue cities, so we feel that. <laughs> yeah. My yeah, uh, my my street yeah. my street looks like a Trump rally in the daytime. It's pretty wild, and they're slowly like sheepishly going back inside the house. Like every day, you see like one more flag be like very slowly removed. <laughs> see, so I don't. Odd, right. I mean, uh, I I think it's so bizarre that like there there's all this conversation around Trump still whipping up the base about, you know, trying to doubt the validity, validity of the election results. And luckily I feel like that's dying off. Right. Like, I think so. If we're, we're not going to have a civil war, right guys. I don't know. See, you know, you mentioned that, the other day, Justin, about how you notice people are pulling their stuff away, but I noticed, like, around me, someone hung one 
a flag from a tree that hangs over the road by my house, a Trump flag. And then they have a big, uh, yo, uh, what's the fucking guy who talks about forest fires? What's that? Smokey. Okay. Yeah. It's a smoke, it says, but it says <laughs> only you can stop socialism. And they have that hanging up. Oh God. They, <laughs> and they have it hanging over the road, which I think is public property. So I could probably do something about it. <laughs> but I, I feel like there's you got the group who's you know sheepishly pulling back, then you got the group who's like, "Fuck no, I'm all in." Doubling down, like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um. So what's what's next for the casket lottery, Nathan? Oh man, I wish I could do. You know, like I, you know, yeah. <laughs> we, we put out this record, and now we're like, now what do we do? Oh, yeah. Um. You know, I think we're gonna like, try and figure out how to do some live streaming. We're going to figure out how to do some of that. Um, nice. You know, we, we want to play these songs, you know, and, um, I, you know, but there's no, no conversation around booking anything. Obviously it's far too premature right. for that. Um, so I don't know. We're just kind of in a, a wait and see uh, standstill right now, but uh, I don't know. I guess we'll figure out how to do some live streaming stuff. Nice. Do you have any shout outs or anything before we wrap up the episode? So, yeah, just check out the record wherever people listen to records. Awesome. Wait, oh, wait, hold on. One more thing. You got five more minutes? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've, got fam- I've got some fan questions, actually. I have oh, a okay. question then as well. Okay, MC, you go first. So, you, you're from Kansas City. You live in Kansas City proper, you said, right? So is Davy's Uptown Ramblers Club really haunted, and have you seen any ghosts there? I have heard that story. Uh, I have never seen anything. Uh, that's not really a venue I've frequented a whole lot. We've played there a handful of times, but not a lot. Um, wh- what's the ghost story that you know of? I don't know. I went through there. Um, I-, I went through there on tour with my friend's band a few years back, and. They shoved two of us into the basement bowling alley after dabbling in some drugs and drinks and said it's haunted yeah. and just kind of lo- closed the door behind us and left us in this dark bowling alley. And I didn't oh see any ghosts, but it was creepy as fuck. But like I'd heard <laughs> the whole time we were there that this place was haunted and they had done a like a ghost hunters or one of the ghost hunting like shows there featuring that place. So I had to ask, had to ask a local, you know. Yeah, no, that story's not too prominent, but I have heard that. I, I have heard that, that that spot is haunted. The studio that we recorded at all those times with Ed Rose, um, called it was called Black Lodge. It's sold now. Um, was an old hotel, and then it turned into a funeral home for a time, and it is supposed to be super haunted. And Ed always like definitely you know said that was horseshit he's always had recording equipment running in there and never caught anything right he had yeah. ghost hunters come out because they wanted to, to do their project on that place and they didn't find anything but i will tell you this the night that we the night before we started recording the first amy baker fox record jeff Ginsterbloom and i slept in that control room and we woke up in the middle of that night to somebody shutting the control room door and there was nobody else in that building. And 
we talked about it in that morning and we both heard a woman talking like before we woke up and he he said he thought it was like the business next door but there's no businesses like attached to that building at all and of course we're in a sound isolated studio so that doesn't make sense either but we both remember hearing like in the early mornings before we completely woke up like a woman talking so that that that's my ghost story nice on a related note to that fan question number one is from keith Leitman from empire empire he wants to know what your greatest fear of all time is uh looking stupid (laughs) Okay. <laughs> gotcha all right um here's a legit one uh mitch terror wants to know how coalesce got to be a part of the black flag tribute album he says that record was awesome i really feel like a radio dj doing this <laughs> that that recording was one of the few recordings that happened uh with guitar player who wasn't jeff so I was not involved in, in gotcha. that era of Cola. So I don't really know. I think it was probably just, you know, Sean uh, got an email from somebody and made it happen. <laughs> um, yeah. Last one. It's this that is easy. Garrett. <laughs> this is Garrett Price. He says, I took two coalesces and still got hard shits. Should I be drinking more water? Yikes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you would expect by taking two coalesces. That's probably like a bad recipe. <laughs> two coalescences one too many coalescences for any <laughs> okay those oh wait we got one that just came in actually sorry last one from mike young from san francisco if they were hot dogs would they eat themselves uh i can't speak for everyone but... <laughs> <laughs> but I don't I don't knowing myself I would never I would never consume <laughs> <Even if that>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough I don't oh, know yeah. if there's much more to say about it <laughs> yeah um okay well unless you got any more shout outs we're gonna wrap up the episode I do want to thank you for taking over an hour of your time to talk with us um the new record's great, so I hope everyone goes and checks out the new Casket Lottery record and whatever streams or whatever's coming up, I'm sure we'll all be checking for as well. So thank you, Nathan, very much. Um, that's all I got. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. This is great, Nathan. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. thanks all of you. Hey, whoa, ha, ha, so much. Yes, I agree. Cool, thanks for, we had so much fun with Nathan. Thanks for, cool, we had some fun. <laughs> hey guys, so um, do we want to, let's do a little on-air production here. Do we want to agree right now to write down and actually focus on our end of year list and do it as a standalone? Or do you want to jam it into this outro? No, we we can wait till next episode. I, I think I think we should make a list and we should go through it and like if I say 
strike anywhere and you all have it on the list then maybe wait to talk about it till we get to that like if it's higher up on the list you know what i mean no 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 what do you mean there is a thing and i will make it you're gonna make a, ru- a rubric if you guys send me a list of records you want included I will put them all in a list, and there's a website that will generate a questionnaire that you take. It only takes a few minutes. It'll say, like, say we have Casket Lottery, just for the sake of saying it, and Strike Anywhere. And it'll say, which one do you like better, Casket Lottery or Strike Anywhere, new record? You'll pick it, and you'll go through all these questions, and at the end, it will rank them based off your questions. and will tell you what your favorite record was. Kind of like an NBA bracket sort of deal. So Fuck, here's the deal, man. I'm not into basketball. Me, my record I don't of the know. year is I just Ramon's, My record of the year is Ramon's rocket to Russia. Did you guys okay, get the? Was, did you guys get the? the list. I've listened to it a lot this year, and it's my record of the year. I don't care that it was released like 43 years 70s. ago. Hey, so we'll have a. We'll it's have better a, than most of this shit that came out this year. I was gonna say we'll have a category for records that you first discovered this year, but that wouldn't be fair either because you've hopefully been listening to Rocket to Russia for years. Well, I rediscovered it this year. Okay. In all fairness, Reservoir did put out a record this year, digitally. Hey, we did. Yes. So that Spotify, okay, I don't want to get a little too much inside baseball, but that Spotify wrapped made me really happy. You tear up a bit. No, but it was, and well, I was really impressed by it until I saw like the world is post theirs with like 14 bajillion streams or whatever the fuck. But uh, I, was, I don't even I don't even compare it to that. I'm... No, I don't at all. But I it was still cool that like Russia loves us, I guess. I guess Putin's listening to Reservoir. MC, did you do one for OT? I got it. I don't care. Oh, my oh it's gosh. cool to watch, bud. it's cool to see like what countries old tigers. Was listening Send it in. to me. I care. Just because you're too punk for Spotify. I mean, MC, you are not nice. <laughs> I think I'm a very nice person. Yeah, look at look at his Goodfellas haircut. He is not nice. It's not Goodfellas. It's a goddamn mohawk. With that shirt, it's a nice. Goodfellas haircut. You are not nice, okay? And now you're the end of Goodfellas, and you need fake blood all over you or something. I gotta I'm so mad right now. Uh, but let's unpack for a little. Hold on, let's unpack for a little bit. My list is not going to be that wild because, and I'm I'm not over music. I don't mean that. But like, and this is me being like a young a young and an old person and blaming the rise in digital culture and my limited oh, my limited no my limited attention span. I listen to like two songs. <laughs> put rancid back on man. Like, it's hard to I, listen to a whole new record. It's hard. I'm going to admit this without having like the anticipation of seeing a band play live. I don't give a fuck about new music right now. Oh, would you guys, would you guys agree? And it's not that I like, don't want bands to be successful. It's just like, I strive off of like, Oh, I get to see this band in like next month. Or like, I get to see this band at some point in the future. And like, that hasn't obviously happened in nine months. Would you guys I like, that? Sorry, my old lady says she's the same way. I like Sorry. hearing pleasurable things. And when something of pleasure enters my ear, I immediately become erect and I add it to a Spotify playlist. See, I don't add it to a playlist. I like pleasurable things too, but I like, I think I like familiar, comfortable 
pleasurable things more than I like a new pleasurable thing. And I don't know if that's just getting older. I don't know. But I think that's a personality flaw. It it very well may be. I would you guys argue that in this uh well hold on, <laughs> let me let me ask you this. Of the records, Steven, because you're the big yeah. one who is like, oh, all these records are on my list, they're great. How many have you bought? Um, so let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm not, I'm not putting you on blast. I'm just asking like no, a survey. Put me on like, blast. I have a perfect answer for this. Go ahead. A little bit about myself. So all year. I don't buy a single new record. And then Christmas comes. <laughs> All, right. All let right. Me let me tell you a little bit about Christmas. My birthday is two days after Christmas. Let me tell you a little bit about my mother. She loves giving gifts. Loves okay. it. And she likes and music, send, so I'm sure she loves records. So I send her a list of every record from the year that I want, every single one. And I let her find them. And whatever she doesn't find in January, I will then buy. Okay. This happens literally every December. And I can, I can back this up with full support because while this is an episode about the casket lottery, Nathan Ellis, you have made it very fucking difficult for my mother to buy your record for me for my birthday or Christmas because she doesn't know how to use anything other than Amazon. Thank you, Jeff Bezos. Anyway. Yeah, so that's one of the ones that I'll probably maybe go to Mr. Suit and buy or something like that. Yeah. We got to have Mikey on. I think Mikey would be a great. Yeah. So that's my answer. Yes, I do usually by the end of the year purchase every record I liked from the prior year. Yeah, I wasn't putting you on blast. I was genuinely curious because I find it easier to get to the end of something in, in a physical format than I do on my phone. Fair enough. MC? I bought the Strike Anywhere record. Yes. yes, you did. And I got a and that's a with big it. deal for you. That's a big deal uh, for MC. Let's let everyone know. Do you I, not buy records typically, MC? What's I only buy habit? vinyl, like actual physical vinyl records from bands that I have seen live, or I buy vinyl from them, like at a show. I try not to buy like vinyl of bands that are defunct unless it's like a really great deal. Um, I don't know why. It's just like the way I've always been, and because change is bad we fear change um i just don't do anything differently um yep. so yeah. almost my entire record collection is bands that i have in fact seen live and most of the records i have are records that i bought directly from that band at a show which but is no, a I, solid choice i will say so way better than the way i did it for many many years i was a vinyl buying yeah. lunatic well yeah, yeah and like my my theory on that too is like it supports the band in the most like direct direct way. Yeah. Well, I mean I, I did that too. I just uh also double yeah. double deck yeah, double decker records fucking used bin was my bread and butter for many, or many fucking, years. What was the one at Fest, the record store at Fest where everyone oh. made, like fucking fifty fucking records? Arizona. Aerodame, yeah. The one where I ended up with records from Chris Wallard's personal hot water music collection. Yeah, fucking nerd. <laughs> hey, it's cool though. It is cool. I'll give you that. So I have, I have a topic that I want to kind of circle back to from a previous episode. Now that our now that enough red states are experiencing coronavirus surges and lots of people dying and lots of people being sick, um the Senate 
which is controlled by Republicans, has decided that it's a time it's a good time to get a stimulus bill together. And in that stimulus bill is still the Save Our Stages Act, which, as I talked about before, when it was passed in the middle of summer by the House, had $10 million set aside for small venue, live music venues and live entertainment venues, whether it be theaters or live music venues. Um, now in this new bill, which is like half the dollar amount of the previous bill, the, the Save Our Stages Act has been increased to $15 million, but now includes small movie theater chains. Um, I don't know if that's really better because I started looking into the numbers when this stuff came out recently and based on the parameters set in the new save our stages act that's included in uh this new stimulus package that's trying to be passed now in congress um they've increased the the dollar amount from 15 billion to or sorry from 10 billion to 15 billion um but they've included like almost 1,600 operators of movie theaters in over 3,500 locations, which that's great, but it really doesn't translate to a lot of money for those movie theaters at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, doing some quick math here because I, I did my notes, but did some math not very well, and I need to get it here. So if I'm doing math correctly... With 3,500 locations and an extra $5 billion, that means at most, like, these locations could make, could get from this this bill maybe $1.4 million, which sounds like a shitload of money. But if you're a movie theater in New York City and you have, like, say, 15 theaters, $1.4 million is probably not even enough to cover your rent for the year. No, not at all. Or like any major city, really, that's probably not even enough to cover your rent. So you're not, you're barely covering your rent. You're not covering any like payroll. You're not keeping any people in, in, in business. So I really fear that the, the addition of movie theaters to the save our stages act is going to negatively impact many of the live music venues that were, really praying and hoping that the save our stages act would in fact save them. I mean, the save our stages act was originally passed four or five months ago. So it's, it's very realistic and we've seen it happen here in Pennsylvania that many of the venues that would have benefited from this have already decided to call it quits. I mean, the most recent I saw on the internet was the voltage lounge in Philadelphia decided to, close its doors oh god really permanently yeah there's a lot of people being like oh well they haven't paid their rent in months blah 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 but like let's be honest it's been months since this shit has affected it yeah it's as of this recording it is december and the shutdown in pennsylvania first one started march 16th so we're nine months in now maybe voltage alarm had financial issues before that whatever you can't fix the problem without people coming through your door and they haven't had people coming through their door for a minimum of nine months. Right. And let's not, 
let's not dismiss the idea that some places are using this maybe as an excuse to uh, not venues solely, but businesses are almost getting like an out if they wanted to close but couldn't figure out the way around it. You know oh I mean? yeah, not I that it's I a good. That. It's not a. It's not a good thing. That's not what I'm saying. But um, who knows? That could be because no one's going to say that they're going to blame COVID on it. Well, you know there I mean? was. Like, there was a, a, a restaurant bar here in York that closed and they went out of their way to blame the governor and everything for their closure. And I think I said before on here where in Pennsylvania, we have some really messed up liquor laws where if a business wants to obtain a liquor license, you can't just go to the state and get a liquor license. You have to wait until a liquor license becomes available from someone who currently owns a liquor license, and then you go into a bidding war with anyone else that wants that liquor license to buy it. And for the most part, liquor licenses at this point are selling for four hundred to $500,000, and every one of these businesses, the Voltage Lounge, um, restaurant bars, anywhere that has a liquor license, when they go out of business you got to stop and think like the owner of that business sold their liquor license to somebody for in the ballpark of half a million dollars. So while it is sad that they probably weren't making as much money as they normally do, they made a business decision made to out. cash in on their liquor license because that is something they can do the way Pennsylvania's current laws are set up and it's terrible. And they want to blame current governor Tom Wolf for this, but in reality, this has been a problem for decades. And for as long as I have been an adult able to vote, the Pennsylvania legislature has been controlled by Republicans and they refuse to change our liquor laws. So while Tom Wolf has been a Republic or a Democratic governor and he hasn't fixed it. The legislature has done nothing to move the needle either. Neither side wants to make changes. They are fine with the status quo, and it is fucking over small businesses and small business owners in Pennsylvania. And that is the end of my rant for today. But hopefully this Save Our Stages Act can actually help the businesses that are still clinging to life at this point so that when this is over, there are places for bands to play that aren't the fucking, I don't know, the big Meriwether Post Pavilion and those kind of huge corporate venues where I guess ACDC and Guns N' Roses will tour and every other band will be fighting over 300-person clubs that are maybe still in existence if we're lucky. Was that a hint to your top record of 2020? Yes, Chinese Democracy is my favorite record of 2020. Wait, what's that by? Oh, that's the Guns N' Roses record that came out like two years ago after like 10 years of anticipation. It was a bad joke. Oh, I thought you were talking about the AC... Um... The ACDC record? Yeah. Um... 
I wish Justin hadn't gone to make a drink because he said something in the text message that I thought was spot on for listening to that record. It is way cooler than it should be for 2020. Like it still sounds like old ACDC and like, wow, like that's not my thing at this point in my life. It was a great record to just sit down and listen to and be like, damn, ACDC is still just ACDC and they can just be like, fuck it. We're going to make an ACDC record. And, it is. It's perfect. It's. It sounds like they just recorded this album 30 years ago and held on to it, and we're like, okay, we'll do it now. I don't know. Who cares about ACDC in 2020? Literally, like, no, nobody. So legitimately, though, so that makes me curious, because, I mean, obviously, ACDC is a classic band, and there are some ACDC songs that I think there are people that may say they don't like but literally you can't not like like fucking back in black or the fucking one where it's like I don't like yeah TNT I, I love ACDC like that was one of those bands that I got into because of my mom like she was into hard rock and stuff like ACDC and Aerosmith when I was a kid I got into all those kind of bands in like the late 80s because my mom was into them and I remember even like being like 19 or 20 when ACDC did stiff upper lip and we all bought tickets to go see them in Philly. And my mom was like, you better have gotten me a ticket. So I made sure to get my mom a ticket. We, we all went and had a great time. But it is impressive that at this point you can listen to a record by that band and say, because there are bands. Reservoir is probably one of them for a lot of people where you wish they didn't change their fucking sound every fucking record. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a reason people like ACDC, right? And if people are going to continue to like them, why would they put out something fucking new? It should be what they do well again. Story yeah. put on the single um, "Shot in the Dark." Is that the single? I couldn't tell you the single. I listened to the whole record, and I, I thought it was perfect example of an ACDC record. I think if you put all of ACDC's catalog on shuffle, other than saying, "This is Bon Scott," "This is Brian Johnson," you would have right, yeah, yeah. you would not have any idea what era any of it's. The sing he played the single, and I was like, "Holy fuck!" This sounds like it was made in '82. Yeah, yeah. Which I it's impressive. Yeah, I believe you. But it's I'm, impressive I'm, that Brian's voice still sounds like that. I yeah, can't sing like that as a thirty-three-year-old. It's fucking ridiculous. Oh, and no, no, Angus is still writing guitar it. riffs and <laughs> like, like, no. like he's a young man. Like he's oh, playing yeah. is impressive. It's good. I want you. No, I want both of you right now, Justin. I want you to do it first. I want you to say TNT Dynamite like ACDC. Well, Let's hear it. Well, the TNT part is a gang vocal. That's not fair. Just fucking do it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Come on. Hold on, hold on. Back up from the microphone. TNT and Dynamite! Okay, MC. See, I think you went a little like high-pitched on that. I think it's more like, TNT Dynamite! That's pretty good. I would go, TNT Dynamite! <laughs> this is a low point on the podcast. <laughs> Terrible audio. Holy God. 
No, that was really good. And I think you both, while you both had your, I didn't have any flaws. Well, you both had your flaws. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> you were pretty close to ACDC. You almost were as good as mine. <laughs> you know how little of an ACDC fan I am? And people are going to shit on me for this. I don't even know what era TNT... TNT is Brian Johnson, right? Yes. Okay. It wasn't the balls guy. I know that. Yeah, that's Bon Scott, yeah. yeah. He, uh, from what I understand, he choked on his own vomit because he drank too much. So, yeah, so did Elvis. So, 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 well, yeah. so for ACDC, as a drummer... They are one of the bands, along with the Rolling Stones, that most drum teachers, if you're if you want to play any type of heavy music, go to, because everything is bass, snare, bass, snare, bass, you know. So yeah. I learned a lot. Of, yeah, or even like T and T snare, bass, snare, bass, snare, bass. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot of ACDC songs that I didn't fucking want to learn. And at this point in my life, I'm like, hell yeah. You know, glad I learned it. Hi, MC. Welcome back. A lot, of those band, a lot of those bands did not have an abundance of drum fills. Rolling Stones no. especially. In the singles, there's like no fills at all. No, it's fair, mostly about guitar and vocals. For sure. As we have learned, ACD's drummer was more focused on hiring people to kill his ex-lovers than drumming. So... And who would Did he do that? Yeah. ACDC doesn't fuck around. When they say we're, like, hiring somebody to kill you, their drummer's like, oh, well, I guess I should take these lyrics literally and try to get this bitch dead. I didn't know that. Because I know, so the guy, I, oh, the fuck, original bass... I probably Google the exact story, but... The bass player of the Eagles had a similar, like, kind of ambiguous... It was him, his dead girlfriend, and a shotgun in a room, who done it kind of deal. Um, nice. Couple years. No. <laughs> what? He was a guy who. Do you like the Eagles at all? Um, they won the Super Bowl a few years ago, right? Yeah, they had th I think three bass players, and every bass player had to like. What's their big song? What's their big song? Um, take it easy or Hotel California yeah. or yeah yeah, yeah. I'd but say um, Hotel California yeah yeah for sure I should have led with that but take it easy and already gone are early hits. But um, they've changed bass players a couple times, and every bass player, it, they talk in the documentary, it's like a rite of passage to write like, hey, you're, write your hit. And um, the first bass player, the one that had the shotgun and a dead girl in his closet, wrote the, uh, take it to limit one more time. It's a great song. Very, very good. Easels are, eagles are awful. No, man. Let me make you a playlist. Well, actually, I don't need to make you a playlist. It would just be Eagles Greatest Hits Volume 1, the blue one. Listen, I mean, it's, 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 I'm, it's not, so I'm not denying that like they have some good songs, but I just it's not a band I ever really got into. Um, So the drummer of ACDC was charged with threatening to kill somebody and drug charges. Like He was legit, legitimately trying to get somebody killed and Yikes. was doing drugs, which sounds super fucking rock and roll to me. I mean, yeah, I saw... Him. I saw the movie The Dirt, and all those guys far worse. I haven't watched that yet. Let's I want to get... watch that together. I want to watch that. Justin, if we're going to watch The Dirt, I want to be there too, but we're all going to be doing drugs and drinking. I mean, let's I'll drink. Watch, let's watch The Dirt 
live stream. Oh, I'd love that. So going so, back to something we just we brought up hold, earlier, but didn't really talk about. Hold, hold on, let me touch on Motley Crue one last time before you change subjects. I feel um, like Motley Crue has touched on everybody way too much. I yeah, I just have one. <laughs> I just want one thing. So when we like, obviously, I was happy to interview Mike McDermott because I love the Bouncing Souls, right? A side hustle of that was I'm I was hoping before it was canceled that we could weasel tickets to the Joan Jett Motley Crue tour. Me too. Because I would love to get Tommy Lee on the pod for five minutes, and that's all he'd be on because I want to ask him how it felt to let that kid drown in his pool 20 years ago. And then he'd be like, I'm done, forget it. (laughs) But I want to get that on audio, just being like, Tommy Lee, how did it feel when you had a kid's birthday party and you fucked it up? Well, hey. I want to ask him how it felt when he fucked up Pamela Anderson's vagina. On a boat. A sex tape has them on a boat. <laughs> I've never seen the sex tape. I don't. I've seen the. Oh. I've seen the. Oh, I've seen. Don't lie, MC. This is an honest yeah. podcast. I've seen I, the. I, uh, you parts can ask of this... my girlfriend. I barely ha- ever watched. No, one. Like, no, no, no. I've watched. Okay, no, Justin. Like before twice. you save your thought, because you're you have a better memory than all of us. Before <laughs> we watch, before we watch, the dirt together on live stream. I say we watch the Tommy Lee G- Jones. Pamela Anderson sex tape together live stream as well. I'd love a Tommy Lee Jones Pamela Anderson sex tape. Holy fuck. (laughs) 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 On episode uh, 18. (laughs) Pamela Anderson's like, I didn't fuck the three-legged man. And Tommy Lee Jones is like, I don't care. It's just Tommy Lee Jones' speech from the end of uh, No Country for Old Men. It's like, I had a dream. I saw my father riding a horse. (laughs) Um, <laughs> that was writing Tommy Lee. Sorry. The only, the only parts. So, uh, admittedly, the only parts of their sex tape I've ever seen were on VH1 behind the music when they were like, Tommy <laughs> Lee and Pamela Anderson made a sex tape. Here they are on a boat. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That was a thing. Steven, are you so, too young for behind the? Are you too no. young for VH1? Okay. No. Here's a random thing I want to recommend to everybody. I bought a beer last night, and it was the Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Peppermint Porter, the holiday special version of their their porter, and it is excellent. Goes great with a shot of Rumblemans. Is, is that Founders? Thumbs up. No, okay, they're West okay. No, let's be honest. Let's be honest. MC, what have you had that didn't go great with the shot of Rumblemans? Oh. Land Land Shark. No, Land Shark. Everything. Most yeah. things go great yeah. with a shot of Rumblemans, but like, I don't I think I've ever. Things that don't. Guys, I don't think I've ever had Rumblemans. Oh my god! When we when we have this watch party, Justin isn't gonna make it through tonight. Honestly, if you end up in the hospital, it's okay with me. If I take up a COVID bed, so be. Hold it. on, hold on, Steve. Should we get Fat Matt to wrap the van like a um, ambulance so we can take Justin to the hospital in it? God damn it! <laughs> oh put a put a jackpot light on the top. Jesus Christ! <laughs> this is amazing. I can't, I can't handle that. And MC, you know, and most people here probably know if they listen consistently that our birthdays are coming up, and there's nothing more I want than to see Justin Luntz in a faux ambulance. <laughs> I don't want so, so can I be clear? Can I be clear? I don't want to be in any actual danger. 
I want this. My big three O, Justin. I'll get, I'll get drunk enough that I'll allow you to put me on a gurney and into a fake ambulance. You won't know. You'll be dead. It'll be okay. Les will be cool with it. So when? All right. On air. When are we? Life insurance uh, policy. Take this life and take life insurance out. I have a life insurance policy. Oh my God, MC, did you hear that? This is perfect. I never signed up. We don't up. even need him anymore. Hey, put my name on it. My gr- <laughs> my grandpa took it out on. Not he didn't take it out for him to benefit from, but that'd be exceptionally dark if my grandpa He's did that. Kill you. Yeah. That's no, so my yeah. my gra- <laughs> my gra- <laughs> Oh my God, you guys want Norman Marks on the podcast? Jesus Christ! So Norman Marks, how do you plan on killing your grandson Justin? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Justin's but, uh, already does dead he do more of a George Bush laugh like a, Is he more of a George Bush laugh like a? <laughs> he's in That's insurance. That's my George Bush laugh. But he's in insurance. That's why he did the life insurance policy. Oh, well, isn't that convenient? <laughs> okay. So anyway, we uh, we've got some, you know, shit to take care of, right? Say right. Right. What is that? Yeah. Okay. First of all, let's look at the Christmas tree. Before I talked about this, the Britney built in my background. She took the bottom half or bottom third of one Christmas tree and shoved dryer sheets in the stand that it doesn't go to to stand it up. Then put the second two thirds from another Christmas tree. Can I pro- hold on? Can I propose something? Is Brittany nearby? This is Justin. Justin. This is a crossover. This is a crossover. I want you to know that I will marry you. Thanks, MC. This is a crossover episode. I want Brittany to take over winging it for her batshit craft ideas. And I want her to have a podcast just about <laughs> like I took two Christmas tree kits and I stuffed dryer sheets in the center of them, winging it. <laughs> That's I what I want. Than anything, but what I want to do is can this can there be a second part of winging it where it's just somebody talking about like how to do really fucking tight lined wing eyelash or eye eyeliner? No. So okay. what I which is a terrible point, which is a terrible audio medium, but I think it would be funny. Hold on, Stephen. What I want, I want winging it to be kind of like nailed it, where Brittany comes up with a craft, and then the three of us try to replicate said craft. <laughs> okay, so you're talking and, about a YouTube series. Yeah, this is going to be our our branch off into multiple media. We're going to be. So you're video. talking about someone having an idea and us actually producing it. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be us failing to produce it. I disagree. Hold on, I'm going to give you guys a Rudy Giuliani moment. Oh, I missed it. I was going to give you guys a Rudy Giuliani mo- moment by farting into my microphone, but I missed it. I mute it every time I have to fart. I don't know if you guys know that. <laughs> Rudy Giuliani oh. needs to learn that trick because <laughs> holy fuck that video of him farting repeatedly at the fucking hearing and the Pretty girl awesome. sitting next to him just looks at him and is like and she like looks him up and down and is just like like it she is like stink them. face she is like it kind of face kind of some kind of sums up the entire Trump legal defense at this point <laughs> yes it's led by a fucking rogue tutor it's led by 50 Furbies in a skin suit on top of each other. Yes. Yeah. That's it. I 
Wow. I just got goosebumps. I've never heard anyone describe it better than that. that I, just, I, have, I came up with that wow. on the fly. I've never said that before in my life. That was good. Good. I. Woo! <laughs> I have a question for the, the three of us. Yeah, hit me. <laughs> Will you get the COVID vaccine? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So I have a friend who I legitimately, this isn't hyperbole. I legitimately have a friend who works at Pfizer and said that the. At five below? No, at Pfizer. And (laughs) and said that the rushing of it through the emergency thing of the FDA is concerning. And that there is. And that there is fine print that if you take it, you like agree to be surveyed. And I'm not really a tinfoil hat guy, I promise. But I'll probably it's your, like, your head suddenly turns silver. It's it's like, yeah. would you buy the first iPhone? There's going to be weird bugs in that shit. Buy the second one. So I buy the new one if it's most convenient. I don't care how new it is. Yeah, so Justin, I'm kind of with you on your your iPhone. Like, is that an allegory? Yes, an allegory. Uh, the cave by Pluto is an allegory. Um, analogy. 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 That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. I, I'm a couple beers in, so sorry. Um, so I'm with you on your iPhone analogy there because I am a big fan of buying last year's iPhone. So like yep. I'm up for I'm up for a, a upgrade this year. Am I going to get the iPhone 12? No. Most likely not. I'm going to get the iPhone 11 because mm-hmm. the iPhone Bug. 11s that are shipping now. Are bug free. The iPhone 12s probably still have all the bugs. Agreed. But, I'll, I'll get vaccine 1.2. But here's the deal: you, okay, fair enough. You, I, and Steven will not get vaccine 1.0. We're gonna get vaccine like 1.7 because the most vulnerable vulnerable people are gonna get hit first. Then, um, the medical first responders, and then probably all the super rich, like. Politicians it's a very, and all that it's a very good point. So we won't get vaccinated until like third or fourth round, and like hopefully Mitch McConnell dies, and they figure out that like, <sighs> oh well, maybe we should alter this vaccine just slightly so it doesn't kill turtle people, and then we'll be able to get the well, vaccine. Well, well, Nick Kafer listens to this podcast, <laughs> but so yeah, yeah, but he doesn't uh, look like a turtle. Given, he looks like oh, buddy, have you seen that back? I wore his sunglasses one hunchback. time. So, so given Not a turtle face. So, given the idea that by the time it reaches me, it will be vaccine one point seven. Yes, I'll take it. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. Um, Plus, by so, the time the us being average middle middle of the road citizens are able to get it, I think there will be like three or four vaccines to choose from, and we will have a lot of information on which ones are a most effective, b least side effects. Because I was reading a thing where one of the people that got the trial of the, I don't know exactly which which vaccine it was, but she was like, yeah, I had flu-like symptoms for 12 to 18 hours, but it was worth it because I am now immune to COVID. And Well, do people know what a vaccine is? It's a little bit of the disease. Yeah, no, that's right. But like at this point, like if you get the flu vaccine or the flu shot every year, you don't get like a half day's worth of the flu. You right. get a, like your arms a little bit sore. I actually, newsflash, I got the I got the flu shot this year for the first time in my adult life ever. 
Well, you're chock-a-block with microchips. I mean, I have a fucking iPhone, so whatever. It never leaves me. Like, it's right here. It's never more than five feet out of my reach. Like, yeah. actually, if it's ever out of my reach, I panic and I... I, I legitimately feel... If my... Like, sometimes my phone isn't in my right... I have my phone in the same pocket at all times. And sometimes yeah. when it's not in that pocket, I legitimately feel my leg vibrate. So it's almost oh, yeah. certainly a like weird phantom vibration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, so like last year, and who knows? So last year, right around New Year's, I got super fucking sick. Mm-hmm. And they just said, you got the flu really bad. But based on all the like research that I am seeing, it legitimately could have been COVID because what? they're finding that COVID was well established in America in like the middle of December. Well, that's so right around Thanksgiving, Stoyer got crazy sick because this year we, or last year, uh, this 2019 November. Okay. Um, Cause he does a uh, Thanksgiving show at home in Fleetwood every single year. And yeah. this year would have been year 10, but I know that right before it, um, he got crazy sick and was worried he wouldn't be able to sing and wouldn't be able to do the, the gig and just guzzled tea and shit. And now he's like, fuck, I probably had COVID light in November. Yeah, I legitimately, like, I, I don't, I have no evidence to show that I had COVID back in January, but I've never been that sick since I was like a preteen. I, right. I couldn't get out of fucking bed and like I, I called off work and the last time I called off work before that, I can't even remember. So like it, it was bad. And I legitimately went to the ER last November because I was so sick and Brittany was like legitimately concerned that I was dying and they did like a flu test they took blood and everything everything came back negative and i'm like a hundred percent sure at this point that last november i had covid because i had all the symptoms yeah and at that point they hadn't figured anything out yet but yeah but but now they're figuring out that covid was established in america months before they thought it was right it was if it in fact did come from china which we still believe it did it was established in china probably Months and months before they ever actually admitted it, but uh, but no, like with the Wuhan flu. Jesus Christ, that movie was great. (laughs) Um, I'm gonna circle back for a tiny moment because you talked about Mitch McConnell MC, and I want to mention that uh, I follow a really excellent Instagram account called the Daily Don, the Daily Don, and uh, he does a comic every day of the Donald Trump presidency, which. I mean, now it's it's a so shame. So it's not that, even funny. It's just sad. Yeah, it's a shame that it will go away. But um, he has uh, instead of typing their names over and over, he has nicknames for everybody. And Mitch McConnell's is the skinless dust mummy, and it's really quite good. <laughs> but I've heard the chinless owl as well. You said something about an owl earlier. He looks like a turtle, in my opinion. A turtle, yeah. Like a turtle Chin- without a shell chinless owl or the skinless dust mummy um kind of off subject but if you guys are interested in a really good podcast uh behind the bastards is amazing what is it about 
so it's one of the it, it, it's a guy based out of Portland and he just does a lot of it's all information on obviously bad people. But the most recent two episodes were on the uh, PPA, which is the Portland Police Association, which started modern police unions and all the bad shit that came out of it. And the, the like the the main people involved in this podcast have been involved in the protests in Portland for the past eight months or whatever it is. Right. And like they have they they literally are people that have been shot with rubber bullets by the Portland police and are now in litigation against them. And they just do some really, really great in-depth research of some really bad people in a generally American history. Say that title one more time. Uh, Behind the Bastards. Okay. Help to subscribe to that. Um, I'm part of why I don't listen to music in 2020 is because I'm allowed to listen to my headphones at my day job at all time, like six that, that to eight is, hours every day. That okay. is the symbol you're looking for, for behind the bastards. It's okay. great. I'm able to listen to, uh, audio all day at my day job. So I just listen to audio books and podcasts. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah. So like, honestly, I, I did a similar thing when, uh, Lane and I did the road trip where we put like 1500 miles on the van I most of the time put on podcasts and just listened. And like I listened to there was one day where I listened to five or six episodes of last podcast on the left because I just like powered through like a whole series on like some random cult or serial killer. If I listen to too many of those in a row, it burns me out real hard. It does. But like I was driving. So it. Yeah, they're great. Don't get me wrong. They're great. But occasionally I think it was the JFK uh... series that I was on. So I was super into it. And they did like four or five episodes and I was just like plowing through because I wanted to hear the end of it. Yeah. So anyway, thank you, everyone, because we have had so much fun tonight. I can't tell you how much fun we've had because it's only honestly, what's the date? December 5th. We were only five days into the best month of the year. Mariah Carey. Anyway. Thank you for listening to episode number 17 with Nathan Ellis from Coalesce, the Casket Lottery, and Baker Fox. And next week on episode number 18, are you sitting down, you stupid fucking pieces of shit? Sit the fuck down in your stupid fucking swivel fucking chairs. Thank you, MC, because next week we have. He came from Napsack in the jealous sound. And that's what will be on episode number 18 next week. So thank you so much for listening. And I'm going to leave because I'm fucking tired and it's 1024 EST. Anything you want to say, MC or Justin? All right. Yeah, I want to do a quick little, like, uh, do we want to talk to Josh this coming week? Yeah. Yeah. He's into Next it. He week, said like, he was like, he was like, dude, I'll download Spotify so we can all just see each other and talk. Nerd, but okay, I'm into it. I mean, I like when I can see the people better anyway. I agree. Yeah, me too. Hey, uh, see ya. Bye. Bye.